With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everybody, Tennis.com podcast, Wimbledon edition. I am Ed McGrogan here talking with Steve Tigner. Um, Steve, last podcast, kind of pulling at uh, strings here, trying to find uh, some of the big events that happened over in London, but that's not really the case anymore. Yesterday's upset just of massive proportions, Lucas Rasol over Rafael Nadal, five sets. Um, you know, on the site afterwards, I asked which was a bigger upset in our poll, Serena going down first round, French Open, or this Rafa match. I just checked it a little while ago. We have 91% coming back for Rafa. And this is after I even asked the same question after Serena lost at the French, and there was a huge, you know, thing about that, of course. So in your mind, really, what's the historical context of this match in terms of, you know, really some of the all-time upsets? Because that's really what's been talked about uh, since then. Yeah, I think it's a bigger upset than the Serena match because you always feel like Serena could potentially lose in an early round. She did it in Australia. So, but, but whereas Rafa hasn't lost before the quarters of a slam since 2009, it's been the Wimbledon finals the last five years, he just won the French Open, he just, and Lucas Rassal is, is number 100, he's lost five straight years in the first round of qualifying at Wimbledon, and won one set in those five matches, so, to me, it got, I think the consensus is it's the biggest upset at Wimbledon since Becker lost to a guy named Peter Duhan in the second round, in 1987, Becker was the two-time defending champ, so it's that kind of, you know, every 20, 30 years type of upset, I think that's the that's how people, that's how I see it anyway. Now, in your piece yesterday, you actually um, made a pretty interesting point, I thought, was that Rasol was kind of, um, as you put it, a greatest hits compilation of Robin Soderling, Yvonne Dodig, Juan Martin Del Potro. These are all players who have beaten Nadal in, in fairly significant upsets, um, some in big events, of course, some in you know, little less of that tier, Dodig, for example, last year in Canada. Um, but to me, when I, when I read that, I thought about, you know, in the end, no matter how you want to slice it, this really is another example of a guy who is more or less a power player being able to really hit through Rafa's defenses. I mean, by, by the end of this match, it wasn't even that Rafa was unable to kind of keep up with Rasol. It was that he almost wasn't even moving for, for lots of these, uh, you know, shots he's hitting. And, and, and one more takeaway I had about this is, you know, a big, a guy who's hitting like this, you know, that kind of size or whatever, it almost makes Novak Djokovic's 
kind of run against Nadal look even more impressive, really. He doesn't fit. He's a more all-around player, but, um, you know, doesn't fit the mold of, you know, Rasal, Dodig, Soderling, guys like that. Right, yeah. Um, there's always been a type that can give Nadal trouble. Burdich early on. Um, James Blake, he doesn't have the two in the back, but he was a big power hitter. He beat Nadal early on. Um, Soderling. Del Potro has had success. Tall guys, generally two in the backhands who hit flat, um, can take Nadal's topspin in their strike zone and and um, you know hurt him with those shots. But I think I think Rosal went beyond just that that type of thing yesterday. He he really like Soderling. He he didn't back down from Nadal. He didn't let Nadal sort of control the tempo, control the energy. He he. Um, he played fast. That's what Dota had done as well last year. Uh, so he, you know, he didn't he didn't defer to Nadal in any way, which is I think is a big mental. You know, Nadal usually controls sort of the the match um, surroundings, the way the match is played, and and Rosal didn't let him do that. And I think that affected Nadal. Rafa got mad at him and complained to chair umpire about some of the things he was doing. So I think both from the way he played and the way he and his attitude was all, uh, you know, it's not that, you know, it's a huge surprise that he won and the way, and it's a huge surprise the way he played in the fifth set, but he did do the right things to, to beat Rafa. This all opens up a, a fairly significant opportunity slash pressure on Andy Murray because Murray is the, you know, the player who was slated to face Nadal if everything went according to play in the semifinals. Um, for Murray, it's uh it's it's a little bit, I guess you could say, like Roger Federer at the 09 French. That's of course in the final, but there there is a significant uh, you know hurdle taken away from Murray, especially since he lost to Nadal in so many semifinals. You know, what do you think of of Murray's kind of path or outlook right now? He gets Baghdadis next, and um, you know, if if things went according to plan, he might face like Songa in the semis. But kind of, what do you think about Murray right now? Because I think that's really the uh, you know, the big um, outcome of all this in the draw. See how he reacts. In the past, he's been really good at Wimbledon in the early rounds, blocking everything out, treating, really treating it like one match at a time. I feel like he's thrived in a way in early rounds because he never looks ahead because he's so focused on this tournament and has become pretty good early on in blocking out the distractions. And in a way, it's helped him not get ahead of himself, not look ahead at any match. The problem is later in the tournament when he can get to film, when he can see possibly winning, when he gets to the semis, when he can see possibly been in, being in the final, he tightens up. We'll see what this does. This is a totally new situation for him. He, um, he didn't play well in a match where he, that he should have won in the semis in 2009 when Nadal wasn't in the tournament against Andy Roddick. That's probably the one he, he regrets the most. Um, so that type of thing... You know, we'll see whether that could happen maybe in a semi with Sanga, but the draw is opening up pretty nicely for him. Raonic, everybody thought he would be a dangerous player for Murray, but he's out, and um, obviously Rafa's out. So, so um, you know, I think we'll we'll get a good idea when when Murray goes up against um, Murray goes up against Baghdad's first match after Nadal going out. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned Raonic right there. We're just going to talk about that a little later, but um, he gets beaten by Sam Querrey this morning. Actually, that's a, I think it's a, kind of a significant result in both players' eyes here. Querrey um, 
coming back from a long injury layoff, and um, I think this is this perhaps could be that catapulting victory that kind of propels him back into the uh, upper crust of the American players. There, he's you know he's a guy who years um, you know as less as a year ago would have been a shoe in to play for the Olympics. That's not going to happen because of his ranking. For Raonic, um, it, it's interesting. He um, I think. He's been fantastic, really, for the most part, except for the slams, actually. And I know he's a you know always sort of a trendy kind of breakout pick, especially at a slam like Wimbledon here with his serve. Um, Chris Clary on Twitter afterwards was kind of wondering, really, if if Raonic needed to kind of question where he's at right now. He's still you know, very young, of course, but I guess it's um, I guess another slam where we're kind of expecting a little more from him. Yeah, I think this is the first time you'll really start to get the Ranish doubters will come out um, a little more this time than we've seen. You know, this was Wimbledon, I think, was seen as a tournament that he could possibly win in a few years. Uh, you know, in a few years, he might be the next, like, you know, when people looked at younger players, he was seemed to be the most likely guy who would go on to become a, a Wimbledon champ. And now he goes out to Query, kind of a second, a good player, but not the kind of guy that you should be losing to if you're ever going to win Wimbledon. Um, I think Radish, one thing that people have been recognizing, he, does, he has a great serve, but his return game is, is pretty mediocre. He's not, he's, he's way down statistically um, on the, in the list of ATP players as far as his return statistics. Uh, so that's something that, that you know, you're going to hear more about from Radish. So I, so I think it's, a, it's kind of an early setback for him. As far as Query goes, I think this, I don't know how far this catapults him, but at least shows that he's going to be in the mix again. I, you know, you wondered about his motivation, whether how well he would come back from being injured last year. But this, you know, I think this shows that he's still going to be there. Last thing I wanted to hit on was um, another an, an off-court issue that has also been generating a lot of talk throughout the tournament is Jill Simone. He didn't really waste time assuming his new new role, member of the ATP Player Council comes out with an extremely controversial remark about how he doesn't believe that uh, at the current, you know, at the present time, kind of the way that tennis is viewed, that the men should be getting paid less than the women. Um, he cites examples of, he was originally talking about the, you know, the, the classic, you know, how much we play compared to them. But I think he backtracked a lot about talking about just really the demand for men's tennis over women's tennis right now. Um, I just wanted your, your thoughts on that. And then, you know, I always, I always do hear about kind of idealistic thoughts about, you know, the tours in a perfect world should combine, be one entity. And I wonder, I guess, if the ATP really does want that. And, you know, this is coming from a player on tour and a player who holds a, a, a position of high prestige within the organization. So I just – Kind of wanted your thoughts on really the whole matter uh, as it comes right now. Yeah, he didn't waste any time. Like you said, very first interview after being announced as the being on the player council, he says that men should be paid more than women. So he's going right, he's going right after it. Um, I think on on the one hand, he's doing his job because I do think it's a pretty widespread opinion. He says all 128 players in the draw would back him up, and whether or not that's true. I don't know, but I think it is pretty widespread opinion among men that they that they do deserve more than the women. But that's also true of probably every person in the world. They think they should make more money for what they do. Um, Simone started with the effort, the three out of five versus two out of three sets as his argument. But 
I don't think that's a great argument because players are pay, paid to tennis players are paid to win matches. The winner gets more than the loser. That's it. You aren't paid by you aren't paid by the set. You're not paid by the by the hour. Um, but then he tried to, yesterday. He went to the idea that tennis is men's tennis is more entertaining than women's, which is just his opinion. So that's that's not really an argument. The one argument that you could make, and he's made a little bit, is that people will pay more to see the men than they will the women. And, uh, you know, that is, I think, that might be true. In my opinion, though, at the Grand Slams, people paid for the event. They paid for, to go to Wimbledon, they paid to go to the U.S. Open, and those events would be lesser. They'd have less appeal if it was just single gender. The women are, you know, a really strong part of that, and they're just as big as stars. Serena Williams is as big a draw as, as Roger Federer is, and um, so I don't, think, I don't think that's a great argument for the Grand Slams. It should, we should make the distinction between the slams and, like you said, the dual gender tour events. The slams do their own prize money, whereas when the, it's a little trickier when the men and women come together at the tour events because the prize money there is given out by the two tours, and the ATP will always have more money for prize money. It's a richer organization than the women. So that's a, that's a slightly different situation. The, the tournaments themselves have to make up that money to make it um, equal prize money. So bringing them together, I think it's true. I think the men are not as concerned. I think, I think the new dual gender idea, the dual gender events in Rome and Madrid and the old ones in Indian Wells and Keeps, and they do, you know, I think they do help the women more than the men. I think the Grand Slams, though, are a different case because the men and women have always been there together, and that, that's what a Grand Slam is known for. So, um, so I don't know. Those are, those are a lot of different issues going on. It's... It's hard because this equal prize money was a pretty much a settled issue when when Wimbledon was the last slam to to offer it, and you know there's just a lot of different factors uh, and and you know things apples and orange oranges comparisons with it. So I don't know. I would say it's too bad he had to bring this up right away in public, but at the same time, it is his job if he feels that if he feels that players feel strongly about this. Yeah, and um, yeah, of course, plenty of reactions to that, obviously, and uh, that's, I think, where this issue isn't going to go away for a little while. And uh, you know, of course, bringing up at Wimbledon of all places is going to is going to kind of feed that spotlight too. So, um, I think we'll be back after round three concludes. This, of course, uh, you know, all the fourth round will be played on Monday, barring some catastrophic weather it looks like the tournament is real is basically back on schedule as of today um so i think we'll return um you know in advance of a fourth round really to kind of catch you up to speed with everything there so for steve tigner i'm ed mcgrogan thanks for listening to the tennis.com podcast you've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast thanks for listening for all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.